Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss our hardware antics for the week. I go Apple? It's happened, folks. In our core story, we also are going to navigate the confusing world of NVMe, M2, SSDs, and then we're going to head to the popular camera corner with Wendy, where we'll discuss the brain of your camera, the microprocessor. All of this and more coming up. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. So let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you gotten yourself into? Well, as un- unlike previous episodes, I actually did something this time, and that is uh, two things, actually. One, yeah, I know, right? One, <laughs> I, I, this is not necessarily hardware, but it is for my setup. So it is, you know, useful and everything. I, I bought one of those extended mouse pads, but it wasn't just an extended. The size listing was mega. And I was like, I have to get that. Oh, yeah. I'm so it was you like, didn't say it with your, your deep ultra voice. I mean, I kind of, I, I didn't want to go ahead. Mike. Mega mouse pad. I knew you wanted to do that. There you go. Yes. So <laughs> mega apparently means 46 <laughs> inches by 17 inches. That's so, big. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's really big. So it was, it, it, I saw there was an option. It was like, you could get a 36 one or a 46 one. I'm like, ah, let's do the 46 one. Why not? So is this and, name brand? Cause I have like a Corsair one that rolls across my whole desktop. I love what brand did you get? Yes, it is a name brand. It is a brand that has a name, which is something like <laughs> A-Ridge or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Good old A-Ridge. Top of the yeah. line there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I I don't remember what it was called, but I it and also their logo is kind of weird. But it is a brand that has a name. So Very good. Yes. Well, look at you. Uh, what are what, you what's doing re- with mouse pads this big? Because I've got a Corsair. They are quote unquote medium. And this thing is big. So what do you do that needs when to you're typing? You time? lean into the words. You got to move as you're typing yeah, and moving exactly. your mouse around. Like when you're playing a racing video game. That's you exactly. don't do you that. When I never type like that. You're so weird. Then <laughs> you're so weird that you don't I'm weird. like you, okay. you don't you don't have this <laughs> this constant weird like jerking motion every time you turn. Like oh I I got I got to change sentences. Turn the turn forty five degree angle of my keyboard. And exactly. You have to make sure you have the room. <laughs> Michael and so I I really like the the size of the mouse pad because it has the room for my keyboard, my other keyboard, my mouse, and so much room that I don't have to worry about the mouse like slipping off the edge or whatever. I know this is not really that probably that big of a deal, and maybe it's just in my head, but there's like this lip between like the the height of the mouse pad and the height of the desk is only like a couple millimeters, right? But still, it, it, it does have a different feel when you have your keyboard and your mouse on the same plane. So I think that's actually a little bit better in that sense. I don't know if I'm just imagining that or whatever, but it feels like it makes a difference. It probably depends on your setup because my keyboard has a wrist rest on it, so I wouldn't notice that much. See, I think oh. you have to have the big mouse pad because when you have your drink, your Cheetos... Raymond noodles and everything else on your desk. You never know where you're, where you're going to have room for your mouse that you then spill into your really nice mechanical keyboard. Well, that's just part of the risk you take. You got to live on the edge, <laughs> <laughs> living on the wild side, the mouse pads. Uh, but yeah, I actually like this one. One of the things I do like about this mouse pad is that the logo is on the underside of the mouse pad. And I hate looking at a mouse pad that has like this random logo in the corner. It annoys me so much. So, I didn't even know it had on the other side. I just when I opened it, it was like, hey, there it is. I'm like, that's awesome. Anyway, not relevant. The other thing that I did get is the, a new router. I bought a new router and I am actually tw- pretty excited about it because I've had connection problems periodically for years and I just never bothered to not be cheap. And because it, it was there, it worked. <laughs> I was going to use it. And Someone else it, on this show has a lot of connection problems. Maybe Maybe you could give them a recommendation on a good router. Wendy. I have a good router. Well, she got I a new router. Yeah. I need a better ISP. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
my my issue is that my internet supposedly based on what i pay for is fine and it should be able to sustain everything but when i realized that my router needed replacement when a, a couple weeks ago when my ethernet connection started randomly disconnecting and reconnecting like mm. that's not likely wi-fi maybe yeah, not so good. but ethernet is is a problem so i decided to get a new one and i i spent hours and hours just scouring the internet with the amazon re- reviews and forums and i'm kidding i just asked ryan what to get and he told me what to get. <laughs> so uh it was it, it actually is a it's a fun decision in my sense that it was easy for me but also i really liked his choice because it's a it's named fun it's it's called the nighthawk from netgear and that's a good line of routers it's treated me well I've, well I've liked them. i hope that's the case for me as well i really just like the name and that's why i brought that part up <laughs> <laughs> i just it's rare when you see a, a tech product have a good name it's very rare at yeah. this point so when i saw that i was like oh I like it. Let's. I'm glad, and it also looks like a combination between a router and a stealth fighter jet. So that's kind of cool. Absolutely, Ooh. you want the stuff to look awesome, and the Nighthawks look really good. There's there's also the X6 Nighthawk, which is what I used to have before going to a mesh network, and it looked like an alien spaceship with all these antennas that would fold out the top <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It was just so cool looking. I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Unfortunately, uh, I haven't hooked it up yet because it, it did it has arrived today, but I've only had it for about an hour, so I didn't have time to actually set it up. So next week, I'll let you know if it has if I after I do some testing to see if it has improved my experience on the webs. Not as dedicated as Wendy, who built an entire machine before we recorded Hardware Addicts, but you know, sure. Don't yeah, 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 yeah. I had all the parts, right? So it was one of those things that I slammed out as best as you can slam out building a machine. Right, exactly. And my machine's already set up to use the internet, and I don't have to worry about most of the time losing connections because my, I'm not using Wi-Fi. So this is more like a, a somewhat boost for me versus her going from a you know a relatively decent hardware to awesome hardware. There's an excitement there. For me, it's like, well, I got to do work now. I got to hook up a new router and stuff. No, the biggest problem was I couldn't sleep. I was waking up <laughs> knowing that there were parts. I was dreaming about computer parts, waking up thinking about computer yeah. parts. And once the last piece showed up, there was no way that I could not put it together because I could not go another night not being able to sleep because all I could think about was computer parts. True hardware I mean, addict. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. I'm I'm not probably not going to dream about a router at all ever. But yeah, what I think Ryan might be dreaming about Max apparently. So what what happened there, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know what's yeah. happened. They've overtaken my home. I have a Mac Mini 2020 and as well as a new 2020 MacBook Air that have arrived that I've been using this week and we'll be doing some videos on on my Dosgeek YouTube channel. Be sure to check those out. So I decided that I've played with Windows for over a decade before I found Linux. I fell in love with Linux, obviously, and it's been a huge part of the four years of my life. But I've never really given Apple a chance to be part of my normal workflow. And one of the things I noticed, and I cover this in the first video, is a lot of the big tech channels out there, the ones with millions of subscribers, They'll come out and say things like, oh, you know, Apple's too expensive or they've got these dumb $700 wheels. But then when they take you through a studio tour of their their setup for video editing and all the fancy equipment, there's always Apple products there that they're using to do the video editing, to do the audio processing, to do all of that stuff. So there's got to be something here that I've missed for all these years. I want to actually spend some time in the Mac ecosystem and try some of their systems. Now, I did have some criteria. One is I couldn't spend as much as a car to get their iMac Pro for $20,000. So that was kind of out. And (laughs) number two, I wanted something that I could actually repair that had some level of repairability. I can repair most Apple products, you know, using the hot air work rework station, but it's not something I really want to have to do as desolder chips and things to get things to work again. So I wanted a level of 
repairability built in so that as I recommended these products and things, it would be something, if I did recommend them, that people could get and actually be able to do upgrades and stuff themselves. So that's why I went with the Air and I went with the Mac Mini. Believe it or not, the Air is actually more upgradable than the Mac Pro. And that's really weird because a Pro, you make you think, yeah, you can get in there, kind of. It's for professionals or branding. Branding, exactly. So the Pro line used to be very upgradable. In fact, Macs used to be known. Their laptops were so easy to get into and swap things outside of. But as they've kind of gone and shrunk the form factor, they've used that as an excuse to make the repairability more and more and more difficult. And a lot of their devices are actually rated a zero on iFixit scale, a zero being the least repairable possible out there. So... They have some work to do. There are obviously some things that we can nitpick on them, but I want to find the good stuff too. And I can tell you in my week that I've been using it so far, there is a lot of really cool things. And that's really the point of this exploration adventure here. Yeah, you'll never know what the other side have if you never try it. Absolutely. Wendy, what have you been up to this week? I've been testing out a new pair of earbuds. And I'd been looking for a pair that was truly wireless for a long time. Um, the last that I was using was a pair of, of skull candies. So they had the piece that sat around your neck and then they had the wires attached. And I'd usually have just the left one in so I could hear what the kids were doing. Or if I was out and about town, I could still hear what was going on in the world. But I wanted something where I could have just one earbud connected and not have to worry about losing functionality because them not working. And then I was really worried about cost. I don't want to spend a ton of money on them. I have a tendency to lose things and was worried about if I have a pair that doesn't sit around my neck, which I still had a tendency to lose (laughs) about them dropping and then all this money that I've spent. And making sure that they fit in my ear canal. I have pretty large ear canals. And so some of the ones that you can't adjust bothered me as I don't want to spend a whole lot of money on an earbud and then lose it out of my ear because I can't go for a jog or do any of my other daily activities without it staying in properly. And of course, I found these ones. They're the New Force B36 by Optima. I found them on a killer cell. I figured I'd go ahead and pick them up. They're IPX5 rating on water, moisture. So that's perfect. You can do so many daily life activities and not have to worry about them getting ruined by the moisture. One of the coolest things about these, though, is you can pair them to just use one earbud for the device. So right now I have the left earbud paired to my computer and the right earbud paired to my phone. Okay, so that part is interesting. When you said it was going to be like paired to one at a time, it's like, okay, you could just also just take out the earbud and not listen to it, right? It could still be playing it. You could just ignore yeah. it. So that was, that's what I was thinking. But the fact that you can actually pair it to individual pieces, how useful is that though? Like it seems like you, you would be having to listen to two different audio sources and that might be confusing. But is there any reason to do that at the same time? I love it for things like this. So I can hear what's going on from my computer, but at the same time, if I get a notification from my phone or get a phone call that I need to take, then I can do that. I can listen to whatever video or media is on my computer and be able to take a call no problem and not have to worry about can the device switch cleanly between the two or do I need to put my headset in? I almost never have my phone directly on me. My phone is somewhere in the house somewhere (laughs) and I'll get a call and just answer it from my watch or my earbud. I don't have to worry about where my phone's at. I'm really interested to see what your experience is is in switching devices with those, uh, that particular brand that you bought. Because one of the areas that I see in other ecosystems, honestly, outside of Apple that's a failure is with Bluetooth actually switching between your computer and your phone or your phone and your laptop. It tends to not sync or misses syncs and things like that. So it would be interesting to see what your experience has been. One of the biggest issues I had with my skull candies is I'd have them connected. It would work with both devices. So I could have the same set connected to my phone and 
my computer at the same time, which was fantastic. However, my husband would go to play a game on the computer and my headset would connect to the computer, even though I was in the kitchen <laughs> and I was hearing his game and I could no longer hear my book. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would not be ideal. <laughs> That's not so cool. Yeah. <laughs> The charging case, it comes with one too. So like when yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, this also has the charging case. Yeah, that's interesting. But I also, it made me think about something because I have these, uh, I have headphones, the uh, over-the-ear corded headphones. And I always thought like, why would I want earbuds or why would I want wireless earbuds or whatever? And I understand the appeal of being like, you know, easy access and it's just, you don't have to worry about cords and stuff. I get that part. But it was not until like a couple days ago when I was trying to get something on my bookcase and then I got up and then it pulled my <laughs> headphones off my head when I tried to get the thing. I was like, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Well, and I like being able to walk away from my computer and still be able to hear what's going on if I need to step away. That's been the ad- biggest advantage for me in using a Bluetooth device is I don't have to take it off and walk away. I can still be listening to a conversation that's going on, get, fix, whatever I need, and then be right back in and not miss it. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah, and so far they've been great. The only thing I don't like about these that some of the other earbuds offers, there's no volume control. So I can stop and start streams or music or whatever, but I can't adjust the volume. And for the most part, I usually have it set to a pretty good level and don't need to adjust too much. But there'll be times where I'll be listening to something. My husband will walk into the room and it'd be nice if I could just turn the volume down a little bit so I could hear what he's saying, but not have to completely stop. Well, it may be actually a gift just because of the fact that most of the time they try to throw those features into a touch control that never quite works right. Yeah. And so it becomes more annoying than useful. I really miss the switches and dials in headphones for that very reason. Everybody wants to replace everything with this touch stuff. And for and this instance, is a physical button on these oh, that you nice. actually feel the click to it. So it has been extremely good. And if I go to stop it, it stops. If I start it, hang up a call, that's never been an issue on these for the last weeks that I've been using. Physical button is the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This episode of Hardware Addicts and the entire Destination Linux network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most reliable, developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancer, and so much more. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. As Ryan would say, that's darn near free. DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and free. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. All right, so let's get into our core story this week, storage. It's this critical component of any good system build out there. But often, it's the thing that Michael is always running out of. Indeed, that's what? right. You <laughs> do have a always. problem with this. Not always. Just because you have 200 hours and, and or she has 200 hours and you have 300, 300 hours and I have 30 of recording time, that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of space. <laughs> All it means is that I am utilizing the space that I have to its fullest potential. That's what that means. Well, see, the problem That's is people like Michael, they always look for the <laughs> cheapest drive, but with the most space. But in Michael's case, it's actually the cheapest drive and just the cheapest drive with no space. <laughs> That's not at all true for the pe- the last time I bought one. Every other time before that, yes. But exactly. this last time, <laughs> I changed it. I'm now getting stuff that's relatively oh, good, but also is cheap. It's okay. It's still cheap. Well, you're learning. But a lot of people don't. They really look at, and, and in fact, if you take this out of even system building, A lot of people who buy laptops will say, my gosh, this has an i7 in it because they don't read anything else. And this other one has an i7 in it. And they both have eight gigabytes of RAM. 
but one's $100 cheaper. So I'm going to go with one that's $100 cheaper, but they don't think to look at what the storage is. And a lot of ways that certain companies cheapen up their products is they put a really cheap and slow disk in it, storage disk. So what that creates is a huge bottleneck. Your system takes forever to boot, takes forever to load things up, and it becomes a big problem. It causes lots of performance issues, and if you have a cheap drive, it can also create an even worse issue, which is data loss entirely. I've rarely which had... an issue for my sister-in-law. She One of the last laptops she bought still had a spinning disk in it, and it got dropped, and like spinning disks do, especially in laptops, it got damaged. And I wasn't able to pull the information off of that drive for her. And it had her honeymoon on it. Such a bummer that they're they're now gone forever because of the drive that was in her laptop. Which actually fits perfectly with a thing that I talked about in a previous episode about my ridiculous interest in like diving into this this madness maze of chaos of trying to figure out what the best long term storage thing is. So I am very happy that we're starting to talk about storage. So Ryan, explain to me what I should do. Well, we're going to get into, we're going to break this down into chunks, but we're going to start with something often misunderstood because it's a newer technology, the NVMe M2 SSD. And then we're going to start going from there into other solutions here that we'll talk about on the show, storage solutions. And then we'll get into things like the longevity of drives because I think it's an interesting topic. Now, I actually used to do professional data recovery and had one instance where all of a friend of a friend's kids' photos were on a hard drive that was in a fire. And we were able to do data recovery on it and actually get all those pictures off of their their new things. So you'd be surprised what you can get off of these disks. People who uh, often resell their devices without properly wiping them and things, taking a big risk. But that's probably another episode in itself. But that's what most people are familiar with, right? A spinning disk in a 3.5-inch form factor or 2.5-inch form factor. Or of course, you have your solid-state drives. Those have been around long enough that people understand them. But the thing that you hear a lot of people utilizing the terms incorrectly, there's two new terms in the market, and it's NVMe and M2. And these terms are often used, you'll hear in videos and other things, interchangeably. But it's not technically correct. So that's why I kind of wanted to cover this to break it down. I'm curious, do either of you utilize NVMe M2 SSDs? I do have an M.2 system. So you have the connection slot for it, but do you actually have a drive in it yet or just the connection? I have two connection slots. One is being used. I'm looking at filling. Nice. Mm -hmm. I have heard of it before. That's all I can say. No, I don't don't have anything. Well, see, they're not the (laughs) cheapest solution. So that's why... (laughs) That, that it, you're right, you're right. But I've kind of grown a new leaf. My that that router I got previously was a you know I I waited seven years or something to finally get a new router, and I didn't cheap out on it. So maybe in the future, no promises. But I, maybe in the future, I might get an NVMe. <laughs> I think you're using an X470 motherboard, and if I understand the one you're using, if I remember correctly, actually has an M2 slot built in. So we're probably by the end of this episode, you're going to want to order one. Just wait. We'll see if you yell, take my money for an NVMe M2 here. Challenge has been dropped and I will probably still be cheap, but I I welcome your attempt to convince me otherwise. I can't say anything about being cheap because, you know, I buy all kinds of things on sale. So you just wait for it. It goes on sale. Even if it's expensive, you're like, but I saved a hundred dollars, even though I spent a no, it's usually things that I'm I'm looking for. So I part of the the research for me is not only finding what parts I want, but where can I get the absolute best price for those parts? So Ryan, I need you to convince me how to say like whether I, you need to convince me if I should uh, spend more money. That that is that is my challenge to you. <laughs> I will him to convince spend you. more money. Absolutely. That's the whole point of the show is to get people to spend money out there to grow the economy (laughs) and make everybody's life better uh, being a true hardware addict. So we'll start with the definitions. NVMe, non-volatile memory express. This is the interface protocol built for these drives. So that's the protocol portion of it. 
Now, the term M2, which Wendy used correctly, is the next generation form factor. Well, that's what it was originally called anyways, and then they changed it to M2. But it's really designed to replace the MSATA standard that was out there. It's the connection type, as Wendy said, that she had one of those M2 slots on her motherboard filled, and the other one was open. A lot of motherboards these days have multiple M2 slots on them. Some, including the X570 creation board I have, actually included an M2 expander card. So it has two slots on the motherboard and an expander card, so you could put your NVMEs in RAID format, which is really cool. Always having to one-up me. Exactly. I mean, I didn't want to mention it. I felt like I had to. You know, it hurt you not to. <laughs> We're going to focus on this technology today. And like I said, we'll touch on other drives and some of the advantages uh, in other episodes. But when NVMe M2 drives entered the market, it was for one specific reason. And that is the SATA controller and connections for the SSD, the standard SSDs that you're used to, were completely bottlenecking, limiting the performance of what the drives were capable there. So that means that the SSD drives that were being created out there, the good ones, not the cheap ones Michael bought, were literally faster <laughs> than the SATA connection could sustain. So they had to figure out a way to solve that. And if that connection, that cable, and that SATA connection is causing you the slowdown, then what's the fastest, next fastest place to get to the CPU on your motherboard? And that would be your PCIe interface. And that's exactly what they did. So... You get to be on the PCI Express interface directly, which means you have direct access to that CPU through those lanes, and it's going to be a ton faster than anything else out there. Now, there was another problem as well, which was the protocol, which I think was around since 2004, AHCI, Advanced Host Controller Interface, was also completely outdated, so they needed the new protocol, and that's where NVMe came in. So NVMe is the protocol, M2 is the connection standard, basically goes directly on the motherboard using the PCIe connection, and that is going to allow you to be much, much faster. And that protocol is a big deal because the HCI could handle 32 pending commands in a single queue, and then the SCSI, which was the big deal for a lot of us back in the day, could handle 256 commands. Mm -hmm. NVMe allows up to 64,000 queues, and every single queue can have 64,000 commands at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's not, not that, Yeah, that's that's not excessive or anything. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, isn't that beautiful? Think about that technology leap there. The the standard that we've been using in a single queue 32 commands to 64,000 queues and 64,000 commands all at the same time is just a massive technological. Okay, I'm somewhat sort of leaning towards not being cheap right you're now, getting okay. excited aren't you see i <laughs> knew it was gonna build up <laughs> we'll see if it, if it actually accomplishes it but continue <laughs> now what's really cool is if you don't have a m2 slot on your motherboard maybe you have a motherboard that's a year or two old there are other ways you can connect these you can actually go directly through since it's a pci device through a pcie slot so there's cards that have these drives where you can either attach them some have them built in and you can plug that into one of your open PCIe slots, and that will allow you to still get some of the advantage there. Okay, so there's a couple things, Michael, before you go out there and start buying your new drive that you need to consider. Because like most things in technology, all the different companies out there have confused the market with a thousand mm -hmm. different things. First, you need to check if you're buying an NVMe M2 or an NVMe SATA drive because they actually created NVMEs that run through the SATA controller. And what is the speed advantage if you're running through the SATA controller? It's zero, none, uh, versus <laughs> utilizing your regular <laughs> SSD. The only advantage would be, for instance, if you had a laptop or something, and you know, obviously the manufacturers are going to want to save space. The NVMe drives are much smaller than even the 2.5-inch SSDs. So it's a space-saving thing, but as far as speed... It runs into the same theoretical limits of around five to 600 megabytes per second that your SATA controller can handle. So you want to make sure you're buying an NVMe M2 if you're really wanting to get those speed increase. Additionally, not all NVMe M2s are the same. 
Some only use two PCIe lanes, while others use four. And you want four. Four is better than two. Bigger number, always better, except when it's not. <laughs> right, exactly. That, that's, that's logic right there. So when you're looking for your new drive, you're going to see something that says X2 or X4. That X is what is describing whether it's using two PCIe lanes or four. And if you want to get the max speeds possible, you want to go with that X4 there to utilize that. And then I think the most important thing is you need to, in this case, and I know I hate saying it myself, you really need to read your motherboard manual and understand what your motherboard is capable of handling. There are a lot of things that happen with these drives here because there's all much, there's only so much space in lanes that can run through your motherboard. So in certain cases, if you connect certain devices, it's going to turn off certain SATA ports to be able to free up some of those lanes for things to utilize. That's caused a lot of people issues where they think parts of their motherboard are no longer working or certain ports are broken. But if they read their manual, it actually would say, hey, if you connect this kind of drive here, you're going to lose ports five and six SATA ports on your SATA controller or things like that that you really need to understand from your motherboard. You also need to understand the length of the M2 SSD that you're getting into because there are a bunch of different lengths. You have 2242, 2260, and 2280. Now, most motherboards I've seen today, if you're building your own machine, are going to be 2280. The 22 part is the width of the M2 drive in millimeters, and the number after that represents the length in millimeters. So 2280, 22 millimeters wide, 80 millimeters long. And most and it sucks to get something and then realize it doesn't fit in your nothing worse than that. And a lot yeah. of motherboards actually have the posts where you can move them. And this is one of the coolest things about NVMe M2s is it's a spring loaded connection. There's no separate power connector that you have to have anymore because on the SATA you had to have the power. Then you have you had your SATA port connected in. In this, it's one connection, spring loaded. Lock it down. One screw. You're done. But you may have to move that post depending on the size of the M2 that you have and you want your motherboard can accommodate. I have a, a weird question that probably is, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful or not for anybody listening, but I have a question for based on my motherboard. I have an X470 and they don't list NVMe at all, but they do say PCIe M.2. Is that the same thing? Exactly. That's the one that you want because that's going through your PCIe Express. Now there are NVMEs that run through your SATA. And again, you're not going to get any speed boost there at all. So you actually, your X470 that you have, I think I had your exact motherboard, is a perfect motherboard to try out an NVMe M2 PCIe. Okay, cool. Because it does say that it has uh, a 3.0 and a 2.0 version for PCIe, but it also says that if you use a certain, this is interesting because you said about, you know, you might lose storage and whatever, because it says this particular one, if you do use a one of the particular M.2 slots, you will lose access to a certain lane of the PCIe. So that is definitely a good thing to know to check your manual, which I just did. Look at you. You're Way actually listening. But see, I think <laughs> it's because I've sold you on this. Now, uh, we'll see. I, I'm leaning a little farther forward. And, and, you know, of course, with my mouse pad fully extended so that I can actually have the room for that leaning. But, uh. So you can double the speed. You, you're talking 600 megabytes per second theoretical with your SATA connection. Five to 600 is your max. Nobody ever hits that because of throttling and heat and those things. But that's the theoretical max. What if I told you if you got a good NVMe M2 PCIe, you could go up to 3,500 megabytes per second. But I'm not done. Because actually your X470, if I remember correctly, has a BIOS update for it, Michael, that allows you to turn two of your lanes into one PCIe 4.0. And in that case, you could be running at 5,000 or 5 gigabytes a second, 5,000 megabytes a second of read speeds when paired with the PCIe 4.0. 5 gigabytes a second is insane. And when we're yes. talking real world use, this is where video editing, especially if you're editing really high quality video and you need to run through it, you need it to load properly, quickly. This is where those high read speeds really come into play is you can do this creative work and not have to be waiting 
for these really large data files to load or as you're buffering through them. Okay, so at the moment, I may be leaning to the point of almost falling out of my chair. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's I can't say yes or no right now, but oh, it's, you will. It's, pre- it's pretty close. <laughs> These are It's one of those things you may not be buying right now, but when you go to upgrade, you're going to be looking at here in the Well, what's interesting is that on the flip side, I told you a lot of cheap laptop manufacturers will put a cheap drive in there. They'll put the i7 in the terms that we're familiar with and people will buy it anyways. But if you have ever worked with say Apple products which generally have a much lower spec than what you could go out there and build yourself, The speed of them is insane. Now, some of that is the optimization in the OS. But what a lot of people don't know is that Apple actually spends quite a bit of money and technology on the storage speed and solution. And that helps reduce the bottlenecking tremendously for their devices. So, yeah, you may only have an i5 compared to somebody else's i5, but they've got that cheap SSD. You've got that super fast NVMe M2 in there and you're going to burn around them in a lot of applications not necessarily gaming although gaming if you're playing games that require a lot of loading scenes and things you are going to have an advantage there and certain game companies have taken advantage of it but not everybody has this yet it's a newer technology so not everybody's writing for it but it's going to be the standard because it's so much faster it's so much smaller very convenient Okay, so let me get this straight. You said the 5,000 or the 5,000 megabytes or 5 gig speed is based on if I can use the 4.0 PCIe, right? Correct. But even if I can't use that, I still have five times the speed of SATA with 3,500 megabytes or 3.5 gigabytes a second. Correct. Now, that, again, is your theoretical speed limits. Now, they'd have drives that hit this. But keep in mind that in your particular motherboard, if I'm remembering correctly, actually has a cover, which is acts as a heat sink for the M2. But there are M2s that have the heat sinks built in. As with everything else, it's all about your thermal conditions. If you do not have good thermal conditions and you're running speed tests and you're coming up with 600 megabytes per second, number one, you might have bought a SATA drive instead of the actual NVMe M2 PCIe. <laughs> But the second issue that you could be running into would be that you're not able to actually keep the device cool because obviously at the higher speeds, it's going to produce more heat and you're going to be able to need to um, remove that heat from the system. So a lot of the NVMEs either have heat heat sinks built in or the motherboards themselves have covers that have heat sinks or fans over top of them. In fact, the MSI M2 expander card I have actually has fans in it as well to keep those cool because they're going to be running in RAID configuration, which allows you to hit the full potential of the drive that you buy. And okay. one of my M.2s comes with a heatsink for it and the second one doesn't. So in that one, it would be beneficial to get one that comes with heatsink. Now, the cool thing is like your Raspberry Pi, you can buy stick-on heatsinks and you could basically make your own heatsink for that device. So a lot of Raspberry Pi components have basically like a thermal tape, and you put that and stick it on, and it's got a little piece of copper, like a uh, typical heatsink, on top of that sticker, and that reduces the heat, moves all the heat from the processor itself over to the heatsink. So you could use something like that to keep your NVMe cooler, and obviously if you had a fan or something to point around there as well, you could do it even better, but that's going to help you increase hitting the speed for your particular drive that you buy. But each drive is different. Manufacturers are constantly out there trying to trick people. So read the comments, look at the benchmarks, make sure you buy a good drive that's actually capable of hitting the speeds that they're advertising. Okay, so you're you, you've you've kind of you you. It's interesting because you basically <laughs> gave me warnings to uh, not do it while also saying, give me reasons to go do it and get these uh, these ridiculous speeds in comparison to what I currently have. And My warning uh, to you is uh, don't be cheap. That's the warning to you, because if you're going for this new technology yeah, and you that's get my something problem. cheap, <laughs> you're going to basically not see the improvements in this case. Now, I'm not saying there won't be a situation in which companies are going to be able to come out there when they become even more mass-produced, and you're seeing the prices drop dramatically from before when they started into now. 
but mm-hmm. it's going to continue to drop. So there may get a point where they're as cheap as a regular SSD. And in fact, I expect that to happen. SSDs will be phased out and you'll see these start taking the place of, for storage for everybody. Um, but you do really want to make sure that you're doing your research here. There's a lot of tricks that people utilize, different manufacturers, to mm-hmm. use some of the right terms, but not necessarily, for instance, like the X2 thing where it's only using two lanes instead of four you're not really going to get that speed boost. Now, it still may be a little bit faster than your SSD, but not to really what you're paying. Well, okay. Even if you're going through a SATA 3 M.2, you're not going to be getting as much speed as you would the other route. But that's what I have. So I've got the Western Digital 1 terabyte that uses the M.2 slot, but it's still a SATA 3 and... Man, if, if that's what you can afford as far as like total overall space needing to expand, they're no slouch. Yeah, absolutely. It Listen, going from a spinning drive to an SSD is a life-changing experience. You could take a really junky laptop, pull out the spinning drive, put an SSD in it, and have a totally different experience. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think the jump from being an SSD to a good NVMe M2 PCIe is the same kind of experience. It is a massive, dramatic jump in performance that you're going to feel. You're really going to enjoy seeing the speeds of your system and you're going to unlock that bottlenecking. Now, there is something out there called the SATA Express. And this was the attempt from somebody, I'm not even sure who, because good luck finding one of these drives, but a (laughs) lot of your motherboards, I bet you, if you looked at your manual, have a SATA Express port And that SATA Express port was the attempt to kind of bridge that gap between the SATA drives, which were being kind of phased out, right? Everybody's looking at NVMe M2s now and have it connect into your PCIe controller, uh, but they never really took off. Nobody's really built any drives for them with a few exceptions, so they're kind of hard to come across. But a lot of motherboards actually have those ports in them. Just, I think they realized everybody was just plugging the regular drives into it anyways. <laughs> and uh, it really wasn't creating any advantage. So there you go. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But I, okay. So you might hear some hesitation in my voice previously. And it's not because I, you haven't convinced me. It's mostly because of the whole don't cheap out part. That's difficult for me. However, this, th- your last statement related to the speed jump and the difference between hard drives and SSD which I have experienced and it is amazing. But that you're saying that if you think that it's the same level of difference with going from NVMe from basic SATA and that has convinced me I'm going to get an NVMe. Yes. Yes. We did it, Wendy. <laughs> we did it. I don't know what we win, but we did it. We convinced them. I, I, uh, I'm more into hardware now. That's see, there is something. I mean, it's really excited, and I'm excited to help you shop for the right drive for your motherboard and get your BIOS updated to make sure you get the 4.0 so that we can really make this thing scream because there are more 4.0 SSD M2 NVMEs out there now. Sabrent was one that had one of the first. Corsair has one out there, but we're starting to see more offerings that are getting ready to pop up. So it's a really exciting time, I think, to go and upgrade your machine. So if you're looking for a good upgrade, it's not super expensive, depending on how big of a drive you want. Uh, This is a pretty cool upgrade for you to do for your machine, and I think you're going to love it. Again, if you pay attention to the details, understand your specific motherboard, and buy the right uh, storage device, you're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. shopping, Ryan. As you <laughs> for the correct drive or the drive you're going to tell my I am about. totally going to be shopping <laughs> for at least five minutes before I give up and say, hey, Ryan. Which uh, one do I buy? <laughs> yeah, basically. No, but I think I know I'm why Ryan tries to convince you to buy new hardware. It's because then he gets to get really excited and tell his wife, it's not for me. I'm looking at it for Michael. Well, yeah, that and I basically get to go, well, Michael has a better hard drive than me now if I get him to buy the better one. And then she'd be like, all right, I'll let you get the better one. Yeah, <laughs> this works. I see it because you have to one up Michael, too, right? Exactly. Of you course. and Michael. Of course. Especially. It's a requirement for being on the show, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason why we're here, Ryan. So you can get more hardware. I win. I have one more megabyte a second than you. Suckers. <laughs> 
All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner. Tell us about the brain of the camera. We've spent so much time the last couple episodes talking about how your image sensor detects how much light there is, how it figures out, or how it gets the color information. But none of that is useful unless it can go through a processor. And more specifically, the microprocessor that is used in your camera is called a digital signal processor. So unlike most of your regular microprocessors like you'd find in your phone or whatever, which can handle a wide variety of different instructions and tasks as it's figuring out if you have a phone call coming in and what apps are you running and all of that stuff. The digital signal processor or DSP handles very specific instructions, very specific algorithms that only are meant for taking that analog signal and converting it into a digital signal. So if you were to look in your phone, the processor that you see on your specs that's running your, your general phone is not the same processor that the camera is using. It's separated out so it can process those images. Just like the processor that's in your camera is not the same as would be running in your computer, in your laptop, or say another ARM device. They are very specific to the task. You never see Intel inside on the box of a Canon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you probably never will unless they decide to start making these very specific processor types. One of the biggest manufacturers for them is Sony. They do a lot for the different phones. They actually make processors for a wider variety of different cameras. I believe Canon makes their own microprocessor. And a lot of that comes down to, yeah, it's going to take the electrical signal as that light hits and converts into a black and white image. And then it's going to take that color data that comes in from that different array that we talked about last week, which is demosaicing. And the quality of those algorithms, it is what's going to say, how much color do you see? How accurate is that color? Without those proper algorithms, you're going to get less or not as high quality color data as it's evaluating all of those different buckets of color that's around. I really, really want to take apart a camera right now to look at the processor <laughs> inside. I want to understand, do they have cooling solutions for the DSP? Does it need copper piping? Is it passive cooling? Does it have heat sinks? Now I'm fascinated a lot of it by is, this. A lot of it's passive because uh, they're not running continually. They're not running all the time. Unless you're talking about something that is a video camera. And this is where we come into the processors running just a little bit different. What is the speed in which it needs to process it? And so if you're looking at your regular camera, what it's going to do is it can either take the data from the sensor, run it into your microprocessor, and then go to a buffer, which as that buffer fills up, you can no longer take any more pictures. And then from the buffer, it goes on to your storage device. Or you can go from a sensor to a buffer to the processor and then to your storage device, which if it goes to the buffer first, you can actually take more pictures in a row. So like sports photography, high action photography, or filmmaking type work. You have a lot more room in that buffer to fill up before it hits the processor and then needs to be saved to your SD card. So over the years, some of the advantages or upgrades we've got is better, faster microprocessors, but we've also gotten larger buffers. So you can take a series of 10 rapid shots in a row and not miss that really cool action. So have you ever took so many shots that you actually heated up the camera? Have you ever felt the camera do, say, what your phone will do if you're playing a video game where the processor gets so hot you can feel it through the device, or does that not happen? I've never had that happen personally. And my, my camera's gotten hot when having the shutter open for doing video. That's one thing I've noticed. But just taking pictures, and I've done quite a few rapid shots for different things between stuff for my kids or live events where I can't direct anybody. I just have to get 
the right shot, but it's never gotten hot in those cases. I really wanted you to say challenge accepted, but okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, actually, so this this episode has been somewhat expensive for me because now I want a camera <laughs> and an you want to take it apart. Yeah. Well, no, I'm. I. I just. I just assume magic. That's how it works. Uh, but <laughs> also, uh, now I also want earbuds now. And so, yeah, this is this is a, an experience that uh, is not nice to my wallet. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, you'll love it. <laughs> Hopefully, all of this stuff that we've been talking about in Camera Corner is really building up to overall. Like, what is the quality of a camera? Why does it make a difference between? my cell phone and the high end camera bodies that you can get. And it all comes down to these, these different parts. What is the quality of the image sensor? What is the quality of the buffer? What is the quality of the microprocessor? All of these different things in combination helps determine the overall quality of your camera body in general. Very cool. So what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about dynamic range. Do you know what that is? No, but it sounds like it's about range. And That's dynamically dynamic. done. Yeah. Yeah. You guys just totally nailed it. I'm so yes. proud of you. We don't need to do it next week because we got it, Michael. We're that <laughs> yeah, good. We, we just did it with three seconds. Dynamic range is how much your camera can see in the brightest parts of an image and the darkest parts. Of how much detail is there? And guess what? The quality of your processor and the quality of your sensor makes a difference in the, how much dynamic range you're going to see in your images. So we're going to take a look at how that works and dive a little bit more into our image sensors next. I mean, sure, Wendy, awesome. you used a lot more sentences to explain what me and Michael said in just a couple words. I know I'm way too worried. The range of the me. dynamic stuff. <laughs> yeah, we t- we totally we totally we're, we we got that. that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. So that's it. Our eleventh episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you to all of you for listening to the show that brings you your biweekly tech fix. If you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network to check out all the amazing podcasts, YouTube partners that are available there. There's so much to fill your brains. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Michael, learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week for another solid-state digital signal processed episode of Hardware Addicts. Wow. That was... That was good. Didn't see that coming. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>